Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hello and happy new year, and welcome back to Reply Guys. The leftist comedy podcast for everyone. Glad everyone is here. I'm listening. Kate Willett. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to <laughs> No, no, you know what? I feel like people know me by now. This is this is Mohana Del Sheikhi. I feel like if they think this is Julia, then it's an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Julia has been through a lot of uh changes in the past year, but not that many changes. She I know Los Angeles and is working a new job, but she doesn't sound like you, I would say. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a new uh, yeah, Los Angeles thing, just to be like, you, you got to change your whole vibe, including yeah. the voice. Um. So how were your holidays? Did you take some time off? Yeah, I, well, I mean, yes, I guess. Uh, when you work from home and you do comedy full time, I don't know what's time off, really. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I guess from comedy. Yeah, I went to Boston for like two days because I just wanted to change the scenery. So obviously Boston was the move, you know? Yeah, uh, the nice weather, nice, like sunny vacation. Incredible stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, I just wanted to get out of the city. So I, I did that. Are, are you in San Francisco now? Um, I'm staying in Oakland. I'm coming back tomorrow. Okay. So shitty and rainy here. There's been massive flooding in California. Oh God! Yeah, it's a, uh, it's very. I think they're they're calling it a bomb cyclone, which I've heard about a few times, but I still don't really know what a bomb cyclone is. The fuck is a bomb cyclone? Yeah, that just feels like, I don't know why I feel like it has to do with sea creatures. Yeah, it's you know it's really uh it's the weather here has been really stormy and it's unfortunate, especially because like just a lot of areas are flooding like including some of the encampments where unhoused folks are living and Mm -hmm. it's like where are they gonna go it's really stressful and sad but yeah you know it's uh these extreme weather events you just always you know our constant reminder of the amazing future to come (laughs) yeah i know i know yeah i know love that we're like uh, absolutely not ready for it yeah, I um in more positive news, I have I have been off Twitter and my mental health feels great compared to before. I just feel like I love not looking at that website. You know what's so funny? It's it's you can tell that Twitter like really destroys like your mental health just by looking at how Elon Musk just keeps like worsening every day like like he sucks obviously but he also looks like his mental health is just like has gone down the drain uh just because he how much he tweets and replies to tweets all day yesterday he uh (laughs) he tweeted out of nowhere like he said last year i was time person of the year was he really i i believe so yeah and i was just like okay bro that's just sad like, it, what do you want now? Yeah, it, it. He Trump was obsessed with that too. I don't know why. Uh, I guess these guys, it's like their list. Like how we want to get on a. I know, yeah. And so list. many people pointed out that, like, even Hitler was time person of the year once. It's not a good thing. Yeah. Well, for Elon, maybe it is. He's like my idol was. <laughs> exactly. That is true. Um, that I mean that that does that does make sense. But yeah, I don't like like. 
And also, like I just read recently that he is the first person in history to lose $200 billion. That's a lot of money. I don't even really know how to wrap my head around that much money. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, yeah, no, yesterday, because like the Tesla Tesla stock has been going like it's bad. It's like like I'm not even like I don't even know much about stocks, but it's you know, like when you lose like 44 billion or more in a day, I think that's a lot of money. Yeah, I've seen so I've seen estimates the the people were you know posting and sharing like when Elon bought Twitter that mm -hmm. we could house every unhoused person in the United States for $20 billion. So I don't know if that number is exactly accurate, but, you know, or how it was estimated, but, you know, it's, it, even if it's like a bit more, definitely the amount of money that Elon lost in his stocks, let's just say is way more than enough to house every unhoused person in the United States. Oh, absolutely. Probably many times over. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's I mean, I don't know. I, like, I don't know, like what the what the end goal here is. And like, I'm like, is he going to get I feel like he has to get fired from like the board or whatever, because like, I don't care about these people and if they lose money. But I feel like the board and like people like who are like invested millions of dollars, I, I feel like they're probably like, well, we can't keep doing that. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. It's uh. I don't know. I mean, it's like I, I read some study at some point. This one is like a one that goes around that like money does affect your happiness, but only to a certain point. It's like basically I think the number and this was a while ago was like over like, you know, 75,000. And that's like throughout the United States. And, you know, I think the basic like principle was like if you have enough money to have your needs met then you're not like it doesn't make you more unhappy if you don't have enough money to have your needs met like if you're stressed about housing food which is obviously going to be different criteria in every like city or you know state or whatever but yeah of course yeah like, you know then that makes you more unhappy but like after a certain point there's like no reward and i think that elon really you can see that impact on him he's obviously not a very happy guy um but i you know it, he's just a he's he's a maniac um no i i agree though because like i mean i feel like we all like at a, at some point like you make like a certain amount of money and then you're like you start like buying stuff and then like what am i doing now like yeah. this makes no sense like i'm just like making purchases because like you have the money but then it's like i'm still not feeling you know it doesn't make me feel any good yeah um uh, especially but for someone who literally like has money forever until he yeah. dies until his kids die like yeah it's, like why why are you why are you doing this why are you letting people dunk on you every day it's i i don't know he's very uh it's very like trump vibes with him i yeah another another person that i think you know had uh, way too much money for his own good um andrew Andrew Tate. It's been a while since we checked in on him. Oh and there my was god! Big news yes. over the holidays. So for folks who you know have not heard of Andrew Tate, which is probably most of you have at this point. So he's like an he's a manosphere like video guy, um, and he makes like mm -hmm. videos for incels about how you have to be 
like an alpha and stuff and yeah detained he was arrested in romania uh on charges of human trafficking um and the police today seized his very expensive cars um yeah it's you know it's it's kind of weird because it's like unfortunately all these like little literally little boys like you know nine ten eleven years old are like watching this misogynistic information and are being like you know hey like uh women are supposed to make me a sandwich and it's like well you're nine you know (laughs) so you need someone to make you a sandwich but it doesn't have to be a woman (laughs) you know like you can't reach the cabinet by yourself but yeah (laughs) yeah it's less i need you to make me a sandwich unless please i need you to make me a sandwich i'm so hungry yeah just like make me some dinosaur nuggets (laughs) make me me some bagel bites you know yeah exactly i'm like i'm not gonna listen to a kid who just recently used to say i'm hungry yeah like yeah make me some pischetti bitch yeah but also the amount of people like on Twitter, and I know that you're not on it now, but who every time well, I tweet I about Andrew Tate, account. I like, okay, look, okay. I look at it for yeah. like 10 minutes every day. Yeah. So people like, if I tweet about Andrew Tate, like I have these people who do not follow me, who would reply to me and be like, so what color is your Bugatti? And I'm just like, what? Like, it, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't have an expensive car or 33 of them because why? Like, also, like, this seems like a, it's also like seems like a purchase that a, a kid would make. You'd be like, what car would you want if you uh, would you buy if you had all the money? I'd buy a Ferrari. I don't want to buy one. I'm an adult. You know, oh my God, Andrew Tate, he's like, only he was born in 1986, so he's like a, an elder. Oh my god! He seems what? Like, yeah, it's Not... yeah. But he he's been charged with rape, human trafficking, and forming an organized crime group. Um, I mean, you know, like I know a lot of people have speculated on the causes of like this, you know, sort of incel movement or whatever. I do think i have a suspicion that this like incel stuff has probably been exacerbated by the pandemic to some degree just because people are so lonely for really good reasons but obviously like the solution to that is not to become an incel but people are you know kind of just actually lonely they've been inside their houses a lot um you know or even if they haven't been staying inside like just life is a bit less connected and social than it used to be like on top of all the capitalist alienation um he got into a beef with uh greta thunberg um on twitter and you know she was uh dragging him for bragging about the um emissions in his cars which is just such Mm. a weird phallic like metaphor just like yeah i'm just it's like I don't know what it is, like a metaphor for cum or whatever. Like, see, like I'm letting out so many emissions, nocturnal ones, daytime ones, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 also like my thing is is just like the second that you start beefing with a teenager, you lost. Like literally, there's nothing you could say. Like there's no dunks here. Nothing. You you've you've already established yourself as as a loser. Yeah. Exactly. And. And to also like she like literally like took what fifteen seconds to reply to him, 
And then he, what, 10 hours later, he yeah. posts a video? It's, Why? It's interesting because it's like, you don't, it's, I was like, am I going to know what's happening if I don't really go on Twitter that much? And the answer is yes. People like tell you what's happening. Oh, yeah. If there's a major event. I mean, so, okay. Otherwise, this week, um, other things over the holidays that we missed. Fucking Southwest Airlines. Did you oh, yeah. hear about that one? Oh, yes. This is also one of the things where you don't even have to be on Twitter to hear about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, all, all of these, like, flight cancellations and, like, literally, like, there are videos of police officers threatening people to to be arrested if they don't leave the, like, like if they stand by the gate because their flights got canceled and they're like, okay, what, what do I do now? Uh, so it is, it is fucking insane. Yeah. It's um, they canceled two thirds of their flights and apparently it was not because of the weather, but actually because of like a, a problem in their computer system. And apparently the computer system, like, I, I, I don't know, like, what was it like their staffing system or something like that? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, a debate has kind of emerged again about to what degree these uh, airlines should be regulated. Do you know who is in who is in charge of regulating the airlines? Who? It's our friend Mayor Pete. Uh, oh yeah mayor yeah. pete yeah he's the single person that's in charge of it because he's the secretary of transportation um and that southwest so uh paid themselves 112 million um oh, only wow just the executive yeah. and they also authorized a 428 million shareholder dividend while not making these computer upgrades so um you know basically like they you know they <laughs> they're just not treating their customers appropriately whatsoever Jesus and, Christ. uh the government it, yeah have have do you do you usually take southwest airlines i used to a lot um yeah, they're not really big in the you like the eastern u.s i think yeah to take it from the yeah, I, I used yeah. to use them on the west coast yeah yeah i used to do it from like la to san francisco all the time like all the time in college i did it yeah once every six weeks um but it's funny because like they're like the the people like uh the flight attendants and stuff you i'm sure you've seen this like they always do the like funny bits on the on uh, on the mic and stuff yeah. uh they try to be quirky and i'm trying to imagine them do- doing it now and people being like i need you to stop right now yeah I, I don't, stop the quirk absolutely yeah. not yeah they're getting sued there's a class action lawsuit now and yeah, i mean it makes sense yeah it's just wild because like two-thirds is so much i think they're starting to give some people refunds um but people are really having to you know go through mass chaos um and airlines have too much powers like honestly like they need to be like you know back down a bit like what the fuck is this shit it's just like i feel like they make so much money insane amount of money and like they made so much money during the pandemic and they paid themselves so much money and they fired so many people and they got so and much then, money during the pandemic they they yeah. got a huge bailout and it should have come exactly. with exactly 
Yeah. Um, and still, it's it's still bad, and it's not like the flights are cheap or anything. They're like you know normal like the prices are like they're what they're used to be. But yeah. yeah, I don't like I don't know like until when like it, it kind of reminds me of like I remember like those like airlines I think it was in Canada or something that just shut down out of nowhere. Yeah, and people were supposed to have to have flights, and they were like, yeah, it went bankrupt, and your airlines do not exist anymore. I feel like that's going to, I don't know if that's going to start happening more here, like in the U.S., because a lot of these airlines, honestly, I'm like, you should stop flying, period. Like, Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, you know, it's just getting worse and worse. Like, now there's just a charge for literally everything. Yeah. Like, just even, I usually fly United Basic Economy, because it's like the cheapest one. It's still expensive, but you're not even allowed to bring like a normal size carry-on bag anymore on the plane. Um, it's, yeah, you it's, have to pay for that separately. Yeah, it's just getting or worse. Check it in, yeah. It's just we're 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 all becoming Spirit Airlines. That is like a, a metaphor for capitalism. Is like it's just headed towards a Spirit Spirit Airlines future. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. No, it's it. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that you sent me uh, an amazing story. I'll let you. Oh, yeah. We have to cover that really quick. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, everyone remembers uh, the Republican candidate for mayor, which uh, was Curtis Sliwa. In New York. So, yeah, yeah, in New York. Yes. And uh, so, I mean, you've seen Eric Adams. He's been he's been complaining about rats. Apparently, the biggest issue that's facing New York City is rats, and he's just so adamant on getting rid of them. And Curtis Sliwa basically said that he uh, he made an offer today to organize a colony of feral cats to crack down on rats in light of our uh, in light of the uh, latest rodent violations. And um, I don't know if that's a great idea or the worst idea. It's it's either one of those. Yeah, I remember when he was he was banned from like voting. Um, he couldn't go into the polling place because he brought his cat with him to vote, which like, you know, I wasn't going to vote for Curtis, but I, I did. I think that that was kind of a, a fun move. I, could, I can't really see my cat agreeing with me to, to vote. My cat is uh, not electoral, <laughs> doesn't believe in politics. <laughs> yeah. It's uh-huh. funny when he was running because it was just like, I hate his politics and his opinions, but I understand him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a cat guy. I mean, yeah, he's a cat guy. I just wonder, you know, it's like, look, you know, I do vote with the I, I'll, I'll fucking vote for the person with the D next to their name most of the time. But it's like, what yeah. would really be different if he like if Eric Adams, if there was a Republican instead like truly what would really be different like he has such intensely hard right politics you know takes so nothing, much nothing 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 would be different i think this guy would have been more fun just just because of the cats and stuff and i think we probably have more fundings for like cat cafes that's one, yeah. one good thing yeah at least when you cut the funding for the library you know and uh, yeah. just give like billions of dollars to nypd that you take away from our schools at least have a little cat buddy on your shoulder and just be like well you know look exactly the city is um like you know going downhill fast due to austerity politics but look at this little guy <laughs> little tiny guy 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Each police officer have their own small cat. Yeah. And exactly. you, you never know. Maybe it will help them calm the fuck down. Yeah, exactly. It's like maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think this through. You know, uh, I support complete police abolition, but maybe in the meantime, we could give each officer a cat to care for so that and they have to hold it the whole time exactly but, i i i think that would make them first of all drive slower because you don't want to drive uh, so fast with a cat in the car uh, well probably they would shoot less because they're like uh my little buddy here doesn't like loud noises yeah exactly yeah you know if you can't change their politics we just have to find creative ways to stop them. And I think that guy would have would have been able to. Eric Adams can't. I'm sure he doesn't hate, like cats. The cats and the pigs. Aw. Little <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Animals. I mean, no one else likes cops. So, you know, let's have them. Exactly. Have them little, yeah. I guess. Um, all right. So we have an interview for you this week um and uh i did i talked to someone when i was out here in in the san francisco bay area about all of the things that are kind of going on with the sort of rightward turn of sf politics what's motivating it what it looks like and you know we got into the civilian police force here which is really strange we talked about that on one episode briefly but urban alchemy uh, that's pretty fucked up. Then in addition to the regular cops, uh, San Francisco has just hired additional cops. Amazing. Walk around in weird little vests. Um, and uh, it's the interviews with a, a journalist named Toshio Moronic, and he's really cool. Um, so we got into that. Um, and yeah, we're, it's happy new year. We're, we're back. Happy we're back new year. And um, enjoy the interview. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. I'm very stoked this week because for our interview, we had somebody that I first learned about back when I started uh, looking into our uh, Yimby friends, <laughs> a journalist that was one of the probably the first people to report on the Yimby movement. But since then, He's been covering uh, all kinds of political issues in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, I've been really curious to just learn more about why there's this weird, progressive rightward turn. What's motivating it? How is it playing out? So very excited to have our guest, uh, Toshio Moronic. Well, yeah, thank you, Kate. You know that I am a fanboy um, for some time um, since quarantine, I think. Hell yeah. Uh, so been listening for a while and I'm yeah, likewise stoked. Well, after the podcast, after we record, I'll have to show you a picture of a uh, little Pearl who I have mentioned a lot of times and she, she comes up to it, I think. All right. Sweet. So just to kind of like, you know, give some context, what I've noticed for the past, I mean, I used to live in the Bay Area right. for a long time. I moved to New York about six years ago. And it feels like since I moved away in 2016, sort of looking at what's happened now that there's this kind of reactionary politics that seems to have metastasized and become a cancer uh, yeah. since then. I don't know. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, no, it does feel like there has been, like you said, a rightward turn, even though ostensibly like the local politics here have always been more to the right of kind of, I think what people uh, view like the reputation of San Francisco and the Bay Area to be more generally like the politicians more have in general, like going back to like Diane Feinstein and like the Hearsts owning everything in California, that's going way, way back. Um, all the media locally, there has always been this kind of um, like right that's controlling the conversations that people are having in City Hall. And it does seem like it's more mask off recently. Um, like they're not afraid to just be kind of openly like super conservative on certain issues. Like, I mean, most recently, uh, I think a lot of people will have heard of like the uh, police department wanting to bring in robot cops. Yeah, there's uh, like not just robot cops, but like uh, robot murder cops. Not yes, like they, were trained, they were. I don't trained. I don't know if that's the right word for a robot, but they were specifically made for the explicit purpose of killing people. Yeah, correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. And fortunately, I think there was enough pushback. There was organizing there were protests. Then in general, I think people might have seen on the internet, like not a good response to this idea. Um, and so at least for now, that uh, has been put on hold. But there's a bunch of other things that have like happened that I think have made kind of national news recently, which like is that um, like, for example, the public school board here has become a lot more conservative, like anti-trans, anti-critical ethnic studies. There was a recall um of a bunch of people on the school board to kind of swing it in a more conservative direction um there's been a lot of moves to defund the what is currently a free city college a community college that's free for people who live in san francisco um there's i mean ugh, there's so many um there <laughs> uh like there's a lot of kind of ideas that are related, I think, to identity, unfortunately. Um, just the idea that if you are from a marginalized group or kind of like give off that vibe, then um, there's a kind of a higher chance that you'll, you'll succeed in politics locally. Um, I mean, I think part of it is people don't pay a ton of attention to local politics. Um, but like, for example, the the two gay guys on the board of supervisors here in SF, which is kind of like what's just below the mayor, um, Joel Engardio and Raphael Mandelman, shout out. Uh, they are the two gays that are pretty much the most conservative ones out there. Like um, calling for more homeless sweeps, even when, uh, I guess it was just last week, um, a judge ordered an injunction against the sweeps because San Francisco has no place to like offer people when they're sweeping people. So they're just like moving people around. Um, I know that was a lot right no, there. I'm just thinking through, thinking through it. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, it definitely, there's a stereotype of, you know, 
San Francisco as being this like yeah. haven for I think, I know. you know queer people, and I, I think it you know it is true like the. It, to some extent, like, you know, the Bay Area was like definitely the most accepting of queerness of any place that I've ever lived. But, you know, um, it's like it it definitely seems like sometimes stuff like that, that you can have somebody who's very like I'm thinking of Scott Weiner, like somebody yeah. who's very pro yeah. LGBT rights, but then just absolutely sucks on other issues like yeah. housing and homelessness, you know, and um like I yeah. think if you're not paying attention really well, you know, which like most people aren't to like local politics in particular, it's yeah. very easy to just kind of go in your mind like, oh, super pro LGBT rights, oh liberal, you know, like often, right. you know, and it's just it doesn't end up being that way. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, with Scott Weiner um in particular, who's like California's, I guess, highest ranking um out gay currently. He has been, you know, like trying to push for like, you know, trans people to get uh, put in the like prisons of their like correct gender. But then at the same time, like you said, is super conservative on housing issues, like basically um, leading to a lot of people becoming homeless. Uh, He's totally like making his developer uh like funders pretty happy right now and that he's just pushing for all this legislation that is um making it easier for them to build luxury condos i see like from the outside i see like it looks it looks to me like there's sort of two major forces that are kind of controlling the politics of san francisco and the broader bay area to some extent one like tech and tech money and to the real estate industry. Yeah. You know, if what do you, do you agree? How are those things working? I guess just, you know, <laughs> what's yeah, your, no, absolutely. I mean, the fact that it took so long for, uh, you know, Elon Musk was like not paying rent at one of the Twitter buildings here and, I mean, it's been months and months and months and only now is he getting called out on it. Um, And the city's not going to do anything to him. Um, There's these tech titans that still very much operate in San Francisco, even though there's been like this tech flight and a ton of layoffs locally um, in the tech industry. They still kind of like rule a lot of things because they fund a lot of the politicians and same with real estate. I think the real estate thing is more universal to um, just like you could say the same thing about like cities across the U.S. Uh, Definitely and, in New York. It's true. We are a, a yeah. fully developer and <laughs> controlled city, I would say, at this yeah. point, which is part yeah. of the that I think it's like astounding that people can look at, you know, like the the housing crisis in New York and think that the that it's going to be solved by giving developers more power because they already have all the power. They put Eric Adams in office, you know, like they, Mm -hmm. with all of these like major rezonings that we've had, I mean, there was so much money that went directly and, you know, to Eric Adams campaign for, you know, those companies that wanted him to do what they, what it's not, I guess, you know, it's just not going to come down to, 
like individuals like you or I, or, you know, any online poster having a say like real estate just has so much influence, but it seems like particularly in San Francisco, because, you know, it's so tiny and, you know, real estate is just at such a premium because it's just, you know, seven by seven miles that it's just like, you know, what, yeah. not the most influence, but like kind of comparatively even more than normal local politics. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, there was, you know, a million think pieces over the past decade that kind of, you know, we're trying to suss out, like, why is there such a housing crisis specifically in San Francisco? And I do think that, like, there is more um, kind of uh, knowledge around, like, the influence that we're talking about that real estate has over local politics. I think people are are also like kind of understanding that the like supply and demand argument that has just been like pushed over the past 10 years is like this Reaganomics style, like non uh, reality that uh, like more recently something passed, even though uh, like a local ballot measure to, um, check on all the empty houses in San Francisco, because we have 60,000, according to the city, um, 60,000 empty homes currently. It's probably, I'm going to say double that because that uh, was taken over like the course of uh, 2021 and the beginning of of 22. And I know that it has gone up just anecdotally and um but in any case so they like locally we did pass about measure to fill uh those empty homes potentially eventually um sorry not to fill them um but to uh tax them thank you yeah. uh, they should be filled though they should yeah. be filled like they're yeah, yeah. Yeah, they should like, I mean, the city has done so many things as far as like eminent domain when it um, serves the real estate industry going back to like redevelopment and like taking away all the black people's homes in the Fillmore district here. And um, they're happy to do that when it, you know, is good for their funders. But um, there are just like so many empty luxury condos in SF and no attempts to like push more uh, public housing into the pipeline. There's been a few projects that have opened up, but like I know New York has a lot more in terms of public housing. Uh, we have units. the most public housing in the entire country. Not yeah, the yeah. biggest public housing system, but it's still not very much, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. But right. It's way, it's one of the, I think perhaps it was the least affected by um, like the Clinton administration's demolition of public mm-hmm. housing. And so, you know, a lot of it still remains and it's really important, but I, not, not but to being important, but to like, uh, you know, they've just had a funding crisis for a long, long time. And people have been waiting like, 30 years for repairs in some cases, right. you know, it's still just like, basically we, we're no shining, shining. Uh, no, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 I do think about though, like if that public housing, like I'm 
speaking to you from the tenderloin, uh, which is like traditionally like there are a lot, lot more homeless people. It's it's uh, more tense. You're going to see more tense. It's also like one of the last spaces in SF where there's like a large number of like black people. Um, and there is also like a few public housing um, buildings that are one of the only things that I think keep it from becoming totally gentrified because people who want to move and can afford to into the really expensive condos that they've built in this area over the past few years, um, they don't want to see tents outside their window to remind them and make them feel guilty of like the wealth gap. It seems to me like homelessness is just one of the like it's it's just it it motivates like all the politics in the Bay Area, like for you know, for leftists in like a good way of you know doing the the sensible, compassionate thing and trying to get people homes, which is the yeah. only solution in my opinion. But it also seems like, you know, the homelessness crisis has really like, motivated and justified this rightward turn and has been so central to uh to sf politics and bay area politics in general of just you know like all these people in office who think that you know i don't know if they really think this but who say that the solution is is more police um and you know tried to and successfully did recall chesa boudin right. uh, you know and um, yeah, I, I guess talk a little bit about how, how you see that, like, what's the sort of rhetoric around that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's another place where it's kind of like masks off in terms of the, uh, people who, like I mentioned, uh, Joel Angardio and Raphael Mandelman, these two local politicians who are trying to like, uh, I don't know, climb the ladder by, talking as much shit on homeless people as possible because they live in these really wealthy enclaves within the city. And it's just kind of gross. I mean, it's like totally just dehumanizing people who are like, the cliche goes that like, okay, people are coming from outside of SF to, um, because we have such great services for homeless people. So it's like homeless heaven. Um, but the fact is that the vast majority of people who are homeless here were previously housed in SF. So they were like just evicted recently yeah. or priced out in some way, because um, even though we have rent control, which is a whole other subject that um, we could talk about, it takes kind of like a minute to explain. Although I think a lot of your listeners will probably yeah, let's talk have a about sense it. for it. Yeah, I mean, so I think San Francisco has the best, like the most, with the strongest rent control, I'm pretty sure, in the entire country, right? But there's still some pretty big loopholes with it. Can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah we do have uh, more tenants than homeowners here, and that's just increasing. I think that nationally, that's the case now, like... I mean, uh, I know that like what boomers um, were the last generation to uh, be able to own a home um, 
more so that like the ratio of home, homeowners to tenants is is higher with that generation and then like going forward like we can't afford to buy houses no um so i think yeah it's totally uh, an issue that scares the real estate industry to the point that here, like rent control, like was established in Berkeley. Um, it was established in Santa Monica, San Francisco, some other cities in California. And then the real estate industry, like started throwing all this money at like the state politics to make sure that um, it would be really hard to extend rent uh, control. And so rent control only exists in San Francisco if you live in a building that was built before like uh, 1980. And it has to have more than four units, right? Or there's yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. So the that number is shrinking like every year, like if they decide to like, you know, rezone and like um, get rid of a building, like if a landlord... Uh, for example, we're doing an episode on San Francisco about like landlord arson and a few yeah. cases where that has, uh, that's really that fucked up. It's really, I yeah. remember like, that was like, that was just the year or two before I left. I just remember there being fires like so frequently, way too yeah. frequently to be an accident of any kind. Right, right. And in a few cases, like they have actually found like there's been like FBI stings oh, locally damn. that, um, yeah, I'm like the FBI did something good. What? Uh, but um, which is usually not the case. But uh, in this case, they maybe accidentally did something good by just revealing that um, a landlord, I think it was in Oakland, was uh, was paying somebody to go around to his properties to set them on fire so that he could resell the um the land for a lot more and also get the tenants out who had lived there previously um one of the things that just this is kind of a side note but also related to me when like you know there's all these people sort of pushing this kind of moderate rent control idea where oh you can have um it's okay to have rent control on, on old buildings, but th- no rent control for new construction. And I'm like, you're just incentivizing landlords to set their buildings on fire. Like, <laughs> that is, yeah. Yeah. That is the logical conclusion of that. Yeah. That idea for sure. And yeah, it's, it's messed up. And sorry to go back to your question from earlier, like, you know, talking about like the progress, progressiveness that really plays very well in a place like San Francisco. And I think like maybe to a certain extent in New York, I mean, you experienced yeah, it yeah. yeah, back in the day, I'm sure like as long as you appear to be progressive on a certain number of issues and really do a lot of PR to make sure that that part of your brand is out there, then people will like kind of buy into it because again, it's, yeah. it's hard to like keep track of like all of the local politics um, issues that are happening around us on any given day. I saw like the funniest example of that recently. Um, I was looking up Sonia Trous, who you've reported on. It was like the founder of the Yimby movement. And she's like an anarcho capitalist. Yeah. She might try be trying to seem more liberal now, but I saw this uh, like article where she was um, 
like talking about her non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have nothing against non-monogamy. I've been non-monogamous. I do make fun of it sometimes in my comedy because I make fun of the guys I dated. That's a tan- tangent. But, you know, it was it's just this kind of thing where it was like the just juxtaposition of like this, like kind of sex liberalism, which I have right. no problem with. Love to sure. talk. I'm just I'm like myself or whatever. But, you know, it's like just this hard right politics with like, but it's Polly, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's wild. Like uh, that is, yeah, like one of the co-founders of the Yimby movement here, uh, Sonia Trous. Yeah, like totally working that angle. Like she's the the daughter of a landlord uh, who came out from Philly, um, identifies as an immigrant because she is a white person from Philly and, uh, you know, immigrated to San Francisco. Um, Just like wild things like that, where people are harnessing, like, I guess the the power that these ideas around identity do hold in San Francisco politics or or really anywhere with like a liberal bent um, and a lot of like Democrats, uh, like, San Francisco, even the Republicans like have to register as Democrats. They yeah. just call themselves like moderate yeah. Democrats um, in order to even have a chance of winning an election. And that's just kind of known here. It's just been the way that local politics has worked for a really long time. Um, but yeah, it it's so true that these uh, these kind of more like the the ME movement, which is just a PR kind of group that works on behalf of real estate to make it seem like it's uh, progressive and there's a softer side of real estate when it's just really about greed. Yeah. And to be clear, like, I don't think either of us is saying that like literally every single person who gets into it has affiliations to real estate. There's a lot of dumb asses who just... Right. I don't know. Yeah. You have some kind, but like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's definitely the origins of it. But anyway, like kind of back to, I, you know, I, I want to tie this back to, you know, what we were talking about before with like, you know, the amount of unhoused people in the Bay area um, and, you know, particularly in, in San Francisco, but really, you know, everywhere. I mean, I, I think there's this weird thing that happens when you talk to somebody in San Francisco about why there are so many unhoused people, like why nothing has been done. People will just like still mutter this bullshit about Ronald Reagan shutting down mental institutions Mm -hmm. in the 1980s. First of all, the connection between like homelessness and mental health issues, tenuous at best, it's mostly an issue of housing being expensive but also it's like ronald reagan was president quite a long time ago (laughs) like why has nothing happened and then kind of as a you know as a follow-up to that it's like you know it seems like the like quote unquote like solution that all of these tech people are pushing is like still not gonna solve the problem so i i guess you know my question for you is just like why aren't people like why isn't there any like why aren't people in san francisco like doing something about this why are people not getting housed right and i think you're totally right like it's 
it is something that like even friends who are not like paying that much attention to a housing issue, um, the housing issue, which is, I mean, it's wild that, I don't know, when I meet somebody who hasn't really thought about it all that much because like it is the most expensive thing in our lives, like yeah. paying rent or mortgage or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that it is the local government being in the pocket of real estate industrialists and speculators. And um, the fact is that these like corporate landlords are becoming more of a thing. They're owning more of the properties and they have no incentive to like make housing less, uh, less expensive. Like the, the rarefied, um, housing of San Francisco, like the fact that it's such a rare commodity makes it all the more valuable for them. And they have the cash, these corporate landlords that increasingly are um, buying up uh, like all of the properties as people get pushed out of their homes. These corporate landlords have the cash to sit on these houses forever and ever if they wanted to, like BlackRock is one of the largest ones. And like, they're an investment firm that is has like properties all over the world in every major city. And they like for them, like a few buildings in San Francisco, that's like, that's nothing. So they can, they can just sit on it until like, if they're, uh, their people like think like, Oh, like years into the future, um, we could maybe sell these at like a, a premium. They'll do that. They'll just sit on them. And the city's not um, really doing anything to push back against that. In fact, like, like tying together the um, kind of like the use of like progressive ideas and identity here in SF that that plays pretty well. Like it was out in full force recently. Um, the city had the chance to buy all these empty hotels and turn them into effectively public housing um, during COVID. Like got all this state money, got all this money from HUD uh, nationally and uh, like billions of dollars that it could have used to buy hotels. It did do that. It bought a couple of hotels that it's converting into um, like basically public housing and they could have done so much more though. And in Japantown specifically, I'm half Japanese, so it really pissed me off. Um, there were a few people with like loud voices, like speaking on behalf of like everyone who's Japanese American in SF and saying like, haven't we gone through enough as like Japanese Americans? Like, you know, our grandparents were in internment camps. So therefore we should not have to have like a homeless, like public housing, homeless shelter or public housing in our neighborhood of Japantown. And it was like um, clearly something that was just orchestrated by local real estate. And they got a few people on board um, from the cultural districts in Japantown. And they were suddenly speaking on behalf of everyone who is a Japanese American person in the Bay Area. Um, so that that kind of like shows like it's they will kind of do these really dastardly things to to show like they have buy-in from the local community which is still important in sf um even though like you said like to a certain extent they can kind of do 
whatever they want. Um, but it makes it so much easier if they do have buy-in. Um, and one way they do that is by like dressing a new luxury condo building up in like something that's gay or something that's like, it, you know, it's got like a, a Japanese American vibe or something like that. And it's just, it's just a way for them to make money. Gay. I want a gay luxury space condo. <laughs> gay luxury space communism condo. But, you know, I, you brought up a point that uh, was another thing that I wanted to ask you about um, because, you know, during the recall campaign for Chess and Boudin, it, it seemed like there was kind of a similar thing going on where, you know, there was like, it seems like it's, it's, you know, especially with all of the like racist right wing rhetoric around COVID, there was an uptick in hate crimes to um, towards Asian American people. And um, it seems like these like right wing, like billionaire people, and some, oh, yeah. some affiliated with tech, some real estate industry, they really like kind of it sort of sold it to people as like a uh like more more police as an anti-racist issue yeah. like a right. way to line the street with cops and i, I mean I, it's tough to talk about because it's like i don't want to sound like i am Speaking being at all dismissive of hate crimes i mean the, the hate crimes are just absolutely horrible but you know it's it's like that's not an excuse to brutalize homeless people either no. What was, I don't what are your thoughts on what was it like to see all that play out? It was pretty gross because I'm pretty sure that these are people who are never like they're they're creating like this kind of bogeyman of like the uh kind of homeless person that's I don't know, got a gun and has it like has their sights on on your head as they're as you're walking down the street. It's like um most people are not the ones that are generally doing all of the bad shit in town. It's people with like the wealth and power who are deciding to make sure that there's no um, beds for people when like currently it's like um, it's been flooding here and the city hasn't like stepped up to um uh, like make a plan for like what like houses people are supposed to do during these floods that are only going to become more common with climate yeah. change. And so like, there's a bunch of us that are like talking right now about like, how do we like get tents and just like shelter to people. Um, and like, you know, who has an extra room to, to offer um, just for a temporary amount of time um, while we, uh, the storm pass but in any case the um it it shouldn't fall on like these mutual aid networks but it does and um the city does have like the resources to deal with this shit but instead it is funneling that money into more policing like and layers of police like urban alchemy we yeah. spoke about previous. Yeah, let's talk about Urban Alchemy because when I first heard about this, it absolutely fucking blew my mind. What is Urban Alchemy? 
Urban Alchemy is basically another layer of police. And maybe people like during the 2020 protests remember like hearing about like these sort of um there were some stories I remember reading about neighborhood associations that were hiring like private police forces or like off-duty police to like uh have some extra security around um, the areas where they lived. And now the city of San Francisco is straight up funding that. Also the city of LA, they have a contract um, in Texas as well. Well, it's a civilian uh, police force. Yes. Well, it yeah, it's, so it's security police. guards. It's, it's like security guards who do, they're contracted by the city and they're paid much less than a cop. They're not really trained um, to handle emergency situations, but they're, I guess, supposed to be a deterrent to like criminal activity. And um, a lot of people, you know, it's, it's kind of like made even worse, the model that they use because they're uh, hiring people who are just coming out of like prisons and jails who like don't really have another option or don't have many options rather. Um, in terms of employment because of like discrimination against people coming out uh, and trying to get a job is pretty intense. So um, basically they're like, all right, here's your option. Like they're hooked up with the local like probation officers and that sort of thing to funnel people into uh, working for them. Again, yeah, they're just another layer of police and um, that's been privatized and it's a nonprofit and it is harder to uh, have transparency with like, what are they spending their money on? Like, how is their training actually going? Because they're not the police. There's no like commission that is, um, there's like these, you know, police commissions that ostensibly have some kind of power over the, the cops. But there's not even that like a fake a fake semblance of like some sort of like public commission that could be like, well, why don't we look into like what they're actually doing? Um, and a lot of the COVID funding was like, uh, like the, that was supposed to help people that were like having trouble, like finding a place to live or um, paying medical bills. Like this was uh, funding that was pushed into these, um, further, like, yeah, these security forces that are staffed by civilians. Yeah, it's absolutely horrible. I mean, I, kind of back to what you were talking about earlier, it's like, you know, the Republicans are Democrats in, in San Francisco and, and kind of California more broadly, even, you know, in a lot of areas, definitely like East Bay and also yeah. uh, San Francisco for sure, like Orange County. And there's, there's definitely a lot of like straight up Republican areas, but I like, I was looking into like, you know, some of the people who had like donated to these various more right-wing campaigns. And it's like the same people who are donating to Donald Trump, some of the yeah. same large donors, like they're really like, I think, I wish people could kind of get past this thing in their mind where they think like a Democrat is a Democrat is liberal, right. you know, I don't like liberals, but you know, still, but it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I no, know. follow the money. Like yeah. it's as simple as that. Like, um, I mean, right wing politics pro cop, yeah. you know, they had Coke money, like to like, 
like with the Chesa Boudin recall, like because he was, um, you know, actually moving in a direction that was more progressive and like letting uh, people who were like, you know, had previously uh, been picked up for like, you know, shit like marijuana, uh, quote unquote crimes, like um, the, the Koch brothers were one of the big funders and like with the MB movement, they're involved with the Cato Institute. Like yeah. Sonia Trouss was up at Peter Thiel, um, famous like tech advisor to Donald Trump, like trying to drum up some funding and like got a lot of funding from these like anarcho-capitalist tech CEOs um, of companies that like people will know the names of like, like Yelp um, and right. uh, Microsoft. So... Well, that is a disaster. <laughs> I mean, it, I, you know, I guess like to what extent, you know, it, it also seems like in addition to this, you know, the, the, the right wing and also more sort of conservative liberal element that's really always been there. But as you said, has got a mask off. Like there still is a very vibrant um, community of leftists and more, progressives like it in the bay area that like are doing really important cool work that's helpful to people i guess you know where do you see people doing stuff that is actually like beneficial or inspiring yeah i think it goes back a lot to something that you all talk about a lot um that you know, locally, like mutual aid on just like street by street level is a lot of what people are doing that for me definitely feels like um, just a positive thing that you can do. And um, ideally, like you're meeting people that are, you'll know for much longer and you can organize with as we attempt to like build something that's like much bigger than just um, our local like neighborhood and doing mutual aid. But yeah, I mean, there's like a group called Tank uh, Tenants and Neighborhood Councils that is like a tenants organization. They do a lot of direct action that um, like showing up at people's evictions and like helping people find housing and making sure that politicians know that they're being watched um, when they're making really uh, harmful decisions and that create more uh, problems for people who are already marginalized. Um, the Anti-Eviction Mapping Project has some really good like visuals and data that I feel like they've been shadow banned because <laughs> I don't see their stuff around and it's like really kind of pretty to look at. Um, of course the subject matter, uh, kind of grim in some cases, like they just have all of these stats on like, uh, evictions, um, and some of the largest, uh, like the corporate landowners in cities like SF, LA, New York, Portland as well. Um, and then, uh, I've been doing a lot of work, yeah, with gay shame over the past 10 years, which is like another queer direct action group that, um, yeah, we recently, we did a, a big like tent drive. We're going to try to get some tents out to some people before 
everything gets washed away. Um, I love their podcast. <laughs> I wish I was like, I wish I knew about them when I still lived in the Bay Area because they're fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like super stoked to be in in community with a lot of those people and um, and friends with a lot of them. And it's like, I don't know, I guess just being around other people who are stoked to do the same kind of stuff to combat the evil around us, <laughs> like just being in community with people like that, it does make me feel a little bit less depressed or a lot less depressed. I agree. It's so important to like, I always just feel so much better when I actually like do stuff with other leftists in real life or, or even not in real life, even if it's just like a shift of like phone banking. Yeah. You know, it just, even if you're not really less powerless, it just makes you feel less powerless. And there is like the opportunity to, you know, do something that's like concretely materially beneficial to someone. Yeah. You know, it helps. I, okay. I I have one more question for you, which is like, you know, so you've been reporting on San Francisco politics for a while. And like, I've, there's been some kind of, you know, it seems like that's been a wild ride. Like I know that you were actually like doxxed by the Yimbies. And what, what, what is this kind of like pushback to your work and how, what has that been like for you? I mean, at bottom line, I am housed. So I feel like that's the, the place that I would start from is like, I, I have a place I have, a very low chance of getting evicted. Like I'm pretty solid where I live. So I think that's important to say, but I mean, it sucks as you know, like you uh, have taken a well-deserved break from Twitter recently because you're getting like, not, I don't know if uh, the doxing is the thing, but like, it's like the, the hate, you know, it's like the kind of um, just straight up like fabrications is, is kind of interesting. Like, just fully like, I don't know, like using some like AI generator online to like come up with something negative to say because. Yeah, it's really strange. It's like, it's it's definitely, I think, very concerning to me that like we're almost not allowed to, allowed, I'm putting it in quotes, like to have discussions about like what we could do about um, the housing crisis that don't involve like, uh luxury condo building right. like they're trying to make it so that you can't i mean you know there's a lot of people who harass on the internet i have been a female comic for like almost 11 years at this point so i've seen my share of trolls but there sure, does sure. Need to be something like kind of deeply nefarious about trying to like really limit the discussion of possibility through harassment you know and specifically yeah. that you're kind of not able to bring up any solutions outside of the very capitalist neoliberal framework without like ruining your mentions for the rest of your life or even in your case you know went beyond that you got docs for it sure yeah i mean uh, yimbies in particular they have like their their yimby.wiki i don't know if i should even be giving it any um any more press but uh they kind of like just list off like any journalist who like dares question kind of that model that they use and it's like it kind of in a way shows like how frail their whole argument 
is uh, around trickle down and Reaganomics as a solution to people, more people being housed um, because it's like, they will come after, like, I remember the first article they came after, it was like truthout.org. And it's like this lefty news site. It's not like the largest, um, it, it, you know, it doesn't have like the highest uh, view count in terms of like people coming through and, uh, and noticing it. Uh, in fact, they were like one of the news sites to get like banned from like Google results for a while. And they had to like, I don't know, join up with these other lefty uh, news organizations a while back, to, like get um, the reaffiliated with like the news part of Google, Google. Sorry. That's, that's besides the point. Um, no, it's, in any it's case. Related. Thank you for telling us that <laughs> that's a whole other discussion of like what's considered like disinformation, misinformation. Right. Know, times that really hits the uh, like uh, the leftists in a very, unfair and weird way yeah. yeah yeah i mean like i did a little article for uh seattle weekly which is not even the largest alt weekly in seattle which is the, i think the stranger is much bigger than seattle weekly um but uh it was uh like you know one column uh piece about yimbies that they had assigned to me and um they got like more emails on that uh than like i don't know anything else that uh quarter or, or what have you and um it was all yimbies who were um in the end like they they were dissecting the arguments of the piece using like their same party lines around supply and demand and Reaganomics logic. They're bringing facts and logic, bro. Okay. <laughs> Market yeah. logic. Yeah. Friedman-esque style logic. Um, but, uh, in the end, yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't anything that was, um, uh, like it had any merit in my mind and the editor saw that it was fine, but, um, yeah, they, they, posted like these uh like medium posts that are so much longer than the tiny piece that i did and one of them mentioned how like that piece in seattle weekly which literally probably like 500 words 600 words like had, un <laughs> yeah. had undone like two years of yimby organizing locally well, and i was like i know no it felt like okay <laughs> <laughs> can't be mad at that but just that that would cause such a furor like would uh i mean it, it made me think like how uh what's the lack of confidence that you have in this like movement that you're trying to um push forward like it you must have just no confidence in what your your argument is if something so small as like um a different viewpoint in a couple of paragraphs can like make you uh you know feel like you just lost the last two years of your organizing life yeah i you know i'm kind of thinking about like just what the connection is like between all this stuff and i, I mean i think it's just you know i mean we're we're definitely in a stage where capitalism is in crisis i mean it has been and like a lot of people have been having a really hard time 
for a long time or forever. So not saying that that's really anything new, but you know, it's, it's reaching the difficulties are reaching more people now. And we keep, you know, being pushed these like sort of like uh faux aggressive solutions for it, you know, um, that are actually just a kind of a different, different outfit on the same neoliberal kind of like Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton type of, you know, right. like yeah, austerity like the, politics, you know? Totally. Yeah. Like the Yimby movement is not, is not new. It's or like, like the, woke police, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Stopping racism by uh-huh. your streets with police. So uh-huh. yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, hopefully uh, listeners of this show are, are very thoughtful people that probably are not, uh, you know, doing things like trying to get more police in their communities or whatever. But I would really like to uh, direct listeners to your podcast, which I've been enjoying the back episodes. I, I just discovered it. Sad Francisco. Uh, it's really, really good. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm stoked. Yeah, basically, we're trying to report on a story that kind of or like a, a monster or villain that emerged from the Bay Area in yeah. this like so-called progressive capital uh, of the Bay and um, just kind of exposing some of the worst innovations to come out of the Bay. The worst uh, disruptions. Yeah. yeah. Disrupting yeah. for bad. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth, I like I've said this like enough times that it's annoying, but I think it's worth it to like look at and care about what's happening in the Bay area. Like even if you don't live there, because it's sort of like a, it's, to use a tech term, sort of the incubator for all, the, the horrors that await us all within a I know. three to 10 year period, you know, like it's, it's just always a little bit of ahead, a little bit ahead in terms of like the next, next level, uh, capitalist BS, you know? I know. I, I mean, I love living here and the podcast is kind of born out of that is like, I wish that, or, and I know that like the city could be better in so many ways. And, um, it's true. Uh, but unfortunately, in a lot of cases, we are the number one exporter of like all of these like horrible, like policy kind of agendas and like ideas. So the idea is to like kind of expose that and hopefully give people a heads up as to like what might be coming. Well, thank you so much. Uh, where can listeners find you online? Uh, if you want to check out the podcast, it's sadfrancis.com co because you know the better domains were taken but uh yeah sad francis.co uh will get you to um where you can listen to the podcast and you can check out more of my work uh at my website which is linked there amazing we'll put it in the show notes as well thank you so much thank you thank you so much for listening to reply guys If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Muhannad Al-Sheikhi. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song is performed by Emily Fremgen and written by Emily with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's, and I am at Muhannad Al-Sheikhi. And Twitter is where you can find our reply guys. They are always with us.
Bernie, take us out. walking that ribbon of highway I saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley this land was made for you and me this land is your land